All right, well, we're going to continue the series this morning, What Happy Couples Know. Are there any happy couples in the room this morning? All right, the rest of you that didn't clap, I'm glad you're here, because I'm about to fix you so much. I'm going to make your life so much better. Awesome. There goes the car. You hear that? Well, I didn't introduce myself. My name is Matt. So if you're a first-time guest or second time, it's really great that you're here this morning. And we're going to continue this series called What Happy Couples Know. And this morning, when you came in, you should have got one of these boxes. Maybe you brought yours back with you uh, from last week. But I want you to play along with me today. If you didn't get one of these and you want one, raise your hand and somebody will get you one rather quickly. But I'm going to start, okay? So I'll see some hands up. So here we go. Last week, I introduced this box, and everybody has one. It's an invisible box, but you, this box includes your hopes, dreams, and desires. There's things in your life that you feel like if these things happen, you're going to be happy. You're going to be excited. And so on your box, I want you to take it and take it, grab a pen. And on one side, if you haven't already done this, I want you to write hopes, dreams, and desires. Because that's what you have. And last week's homework was for you to identify what goes in your box. Like, what are your hopes, dreams, and desires? I asked you to do that this week. Last week, I asked you to say, hey, these are the things that are really important to me. Now, when I was a single dude, how many of you guys remember when you were single? Some of you are still single, right? Okay. And but single people, I'm guessing that if you're hoping to one day be married, not all single people do. Some single people are totally fine being uh, single. And that's, you, you go, girl, you go, boy, right? But some of us, uh, when I was single, I really, really wanted somebody to love. There was even a Queen song. <laughs> Anybody find me? I'm not going to sing it. Okay, so. But here's the problem. I never sat around daydreaming about how I could become the perfect guy for that girl. You know what I daydreamed about? Finding the perfect girl for me. And probably you didn't either. You probably didn't say, how do I improve myself? And how do I mature myself so that when I meet him or her, I am so ready? No, no, no. We look for that special someone that will meet our hopes, dreams, and desires, right? And so on my wedding day, I brought two things. I brought Jen's ring and my hopes, dreams, and desires. And I said, here you go, right? Now, Jen did the same thing. On our wedding day, Jen brought her hopes, dreams, and desires, and this is what we do. You might do this when you're dating. You might do, be doing this when you're engaged, but at some point, you swap boxes. You swap boxes, and all of a sudden, you, you give this to them, but here's the problem, okay? Jen doesn't see hopes, dreams, and desires. Jen sees expectations, Right? And so when I pick up my box, of course, I see hopes, dreams, and desires. These are the things that will make our life so happy together. You know what she sees? And you know what I see when she gave me her box? I see a job. I see responsibility. I see a burden. When I carry this, oh, this is so light and just fun. This will make me so happy. And Jen's box is so heavy. Gosh, you're killing me, woman. You want me to what? Right? And so what happens, on the other side of your box, if you want to write expectations on the opposite side, what you see is hopes, dreams, and desires. They see as expectations. If you're like, oh my gosh, this is speaking to me, watch last week's teaching because we unpacked that a lot, right? Now, here's what happens when we swap boxes and the two eyes collide, okay, is all of a sudden, if we're not careful... There's five things that could happen. We talked about number four a lot last week, and that's we compromise. And when we compromise, we begin to say this dangerous statement. Maybe you, you at least think it. If you're smart, you don't say it, you think it. But if you're like, you've had it, you say this statement. You're supposed to. Oh, right? You owe me. 
I deserve, right? Because it's an expectation. And then we talked, and we're going to talk about this today, is that um, um, when, you, when somebody owes you something, it's really, really hard for you to be grateful when they do that. Like if Jen owes me $100 and she pays me $100, how grateful am I for that? I'm not grateful she did what she was supposed to do. Here's a little one that's challenging. In your relationships, when you think your partner owes you $100, you think it, and they come to you and they want to gift you, give you $50, are you happy? Where's my other 50 Why didn't you put away my underwear too? Why didn't you clean your side of the garage? Why didn't you grab my... Like, right? We just kind of like, we get into this compromise. This, this is what you're supposed to do. And this is what I'm supposed to do. Now, compromise isn't the end of the world, right? You can have a good marriage with compromise. It's better than leaving. It's better than winning. It's better than conforming. But we talked last week how there's a whole nother level than compromise. And that is this idea, and we're going to unpack it even more today, that happy couples know something. Okay, here's what happy couples know if you want to put this in. Happy couples know that you owe me nothing and I owe you everything. Happy couples know this, that you owe me nothing and yet I owe you everything. Happy couples are consistently in a submission competition. Happy couples are consistently racing to the back of the line. Think about this. Happy couples are in a submission competition. I'm going to serve you. I'm going to out-serve you. I'm going to out-bless you. We don't walk around with, hey, you're supposed to, and I deserve, and all of these things. Like I'm going to, I'm going to out-race you to the back of the line. You're always going to go first. Now, I don't know what kind of home you grew up in, but this is an extremely biblical principle, and that's what I want to show you and reflect to you uh, today. I'm going to move this out of the way a little bit. And so here's how I want to start this. Um, when you are in an attitude or a relationship of equal submission, it looks a whole lot like a Christian marriage. And we have an idea in our head what Christian marriages mean. And oftentimes it's a set of behaviors, it's a code of conduct, it's a set of rules, and that you, but that's actually not what a Christian relationship is. And if you're like, man, I'm not married, this is not going to apply to me today. Oh, yes it is. This principle right here will apply to all relationships in all different formats, whether it's work, friendship, it it applies. I'm going to speak primarily to the marriage and dating relationships this morning, okay, because of the series we're in. But I want you to take the principle and apply it to the context that you're currently in. But Christian relationships are built upon the idea of submission and a race to the back of the line. And I want to show you this. We're going to start, we're going to be in two parts of Scripture this morning. We're going to be in John chapter 13 and then Ephesians 5. So John 13 and Ephesians 5. In John 13, there's a lot of stuff happening. I would love for you to read it this week and check it out, but that's the Last Supper it's referred to. It's the last meal that Jesus has with his disciples. They don't know it, but that's what's happening. And a lot of things happen around that table. But one thing that happens that we're going to speak to today is that Jesus makes a crazy statement. And if he have made this statement in any other place, he, people might have lost their minds. Because in Jesus' day, his statement was this. His statement was, I give you a new command, a new commandment. Now, in Jesus' day, first century, you could talk about the commandments, you could debate the commandments, you could teach the commandments, but you could not give a commandment. Only God could give a commandment. No one else. You can unpack them, you can teach them, you can discern them, but nobody but God could give a new commandment. But Jesus says this, and the disciples, they don't run for their lives screaming, ah, they don't do that. Why? Because they had walked with Jesus for three years, and they had seen Jesus do things that only God could do. And so they stayed. And when Jesus says, I give you a new commandment, it's one of the ways in Scripture that we see Jesus saying, 
I am God. Because I'm going to give you a new commandment. This is what he says next. I give you a new commandment. To love one another. Right? And when he said that, I'm sure somebody around the table said, Oh, yeah, Jesus, that, that's not new. We, we know that. He's like, I ain't done. Shh, I am not done. He says, I give you a new commandment. To love one another. What's those next two words? Just as, oh man, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. See, you cannot, unfortunately, define what love looks like. And I know we do. We all hijack that word and we define it to fit how we best love. And we walk around and we say, oh yeah, I love my neighbor. Oh yeah, I love my spouse. Oh yeah, I love this. When the truth is, Jesus actually defines the word love for the church, for the Christian. And he says, I want you to love just as I have loved you. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, Let's look at it like this, maybe. Can I pretend what might have happened that day? Jesus could have looked at Matthew around the table, the tax collector, and said, Hey, Matthew, where were you? What were you doing when we met? Matthew said, I was, I was a despised tax collector, taking money from my own people and giving it to the Romans. That's right. And when we met, what did I say to you? Matt says, Well, you, you said, Come follow me. Yeah, that's right. Hey, and Peter, when I said that, what did you think? He's like, I didn't like it at all. I don't like that guy. He's an enemy, and you're inviting him. And Jesus says, yet, you were a despised tax collector. I let you and Peter stay in the club together. You both get And then where did we go afterwards? Matt goes, well, we went to my house. And Jesus says, who did we invite? You invited all my lost pagan friends, the troublemakers. Yeah. Peter, did you like that? Not at all. Right? Not at all. And Jesus goes, okay, from now on, however you do life, wherever you go, I want you to treat people with the same grace and mercy that I've shown you. Then he looks at Nathaniel, maybe. He says, hey, Nathaniel, what, what did you say to me? The first thing you said to me whenever we met. And if you read this story, Nathaniel said, Jesus, when Jesus says, I'm from Nazareth, Nathaniel says, can anything good come from Nazareth? And Jesus says, when we first met, you basically told me that myself, my family, and all my friends were worthless and no good for nothing. You took a shot at my entire family, my entire childhood. And yet, what did I, how was my response? He said, you come and said, come follow me. He goes, from now on, wherever you go, I don't care how people treat you, I want you to extend the same mercy and love that I showed you to other people. Now, you could just insert your story. Where were you? What were you doing when you found Jesus? What was your lifestyle like? What was the words coming out of your mouth like? What was your thinking like when Jesus saved you, when Jesus uh, introduced you to the family of God? And he says to me and he says to us, Hey, I want you to do what you experienced to everyone else. Just as I have loved you, I want you to love everyone else. Then Paul comes along, and Paul takes that statement. Now, if you're here and you hate Christians, you're going to love Paul. Because Paul hated Christians more than you do. He actually had them in prison, and some of them even killed. But one day, Paul was on the way to Damascus to arrest some more Christians, and he has an encounter with the founder of our faith. And he meets Jesus on this journey, and his whole spiritual life is flipped upside down. And if you really begin to dive into all of the letters that Paul wrote to the church in the New Testament, they are built on this one simple principle, to love others just as Jesus loved you. And that just makes its way into everything that Paul writes. So I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to look to see how Paul applied this to the marriage. Paul says this in Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Could it be any simpler? Let's pray. I'm kidding. I'm playing. Okay, now, I'm telling you, you're, you're, there's no one funnier. All right, so if, if you see this scripture and it bothers you, I am really glad that it bothers you, and I'm really glad that you're here. 
If you're here and that scripture makes you bristle, if that's a scripture why you don't like going to churches, and that, like, like I, I'm inviting you not to shut me out, but to lean in for the next 10 minutes, because I'm thinking, specifically if you're a female, and the scripture, you like, ugh, right? If you feel like that, I think you're going to honestly could have a new radical love for Jesus when we understand this better. Okay, so let's begin. Um, let me give you some, let me kind of show you something to give you some context, okay? Um, if you take out your Bible, no matter what translation you have, your Bible has been translated from, the New Testament specifically, has been translated from Greek into English. Everybody's Bible, doesn't matter what translation, it's been from the Greek to the English. And so if you were to take Ephesians 5.22 and just quote it from Greek to English as it's completely written, this is what you would see. You would see this, wives to your own husbands as to the Lord. What's missing? Yeah, the verb. The verb submit is missing. I want to tell you why it's missing, and I want to tell you some context about first century. In the first century, right, uh, it is completely different than it is today in a lot of ways, maybe in every way. Because in the first century, when they would have heard Paul say, wives, submit to your husbands, where we say, whoa, huh? they would have said, duh. In the first century, wives, this wouldn't even have been an issue for you. Like if you bristle uh, women in the room, if you're like, ah, I hate that, that's not right, you know. Wives and children, women and children were seen as property in the first century. You belonged to your husband and at any moment, for any reason, he could get rid of you. For anything, for any reason, he could get rid of you. And so this, this statement had, had, that's like me saying uh, LeBron James is a great basketball player. Everybody goes, duh, Right? Like, it was just a statement. Nobody, it didn't even lead to a debate, into a conversation. And the women weren't, like, protesting and picketing about, hey, we want, because they knew at any moment, and that was with the Greek culture, that was with the Roman culture, and that was with the Jewish culture. Across the board, women had no voice. Women had no right. Today, in 2018, yeah, that doesn't feel good, right? But in first century, it was just the way of life. Now, where is the verb, okay? Now, it's a, it's a Greek grammar thing. The reason the verb's not there is because the verb has already shown up in the previous scripture. That's why the verb's not there. And so the verb shows up in the previous scripture, and that verb will just simply continue until a new verb is put into place. And so let's kind of see how Paul used this word submit previously, okay? Can we look at that? So let's go to Ephesians 5.21, and this is what we read. Now, I'm, notice I've got dot, 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 and, because Paul was not very great at grammar, and he had these huge, long, run-on sentences. And so if you really wanted to know what Paul was saying, you've got to go back to, like, verse 19. But he's talking here about living wisely, and he's talking to a group of people. What sex, what gender do you think this group of people might have been? Primarily guys in a room. So imagine somebody standing up and grabbing Paul's letter to the church of Ephesus and reading it to a group. Primarily, I'm not saying there wasn't women in the room, but there wouldn't have been as many as men. Men in the room, and Paul is talking to them about living wisely, and he ends this thought by saying, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. He's not talking about marriages yet. He's talking about the church. He's talking about this group of guys. And so all the guys in the room look around and they go, that's right, man, I love you. Together, Bob, me and you, right here, right? We're going to submit to one another, shared authority. We're going to serve one another. So it's common ground. Nobody's losing their head. Everybody's like, yeah, I got this. Then verse 22, and wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. And again, none of these guys said anything. All common ground. Well, duh, this is the way it is, right? Paul, we like you, Paul. You're not rocking the boat, right? And then verse 25 comes. Look at Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, what's that word? Love. Whoa, 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 Paul. Now how you bristle today to submit, wives submit, those men would have lost their minds 
with husband's love. I don't have to, I have no obligation to that lady. She's my property. I own her and my kids. I don't have to love her. She is there to take care of this portion of my life. And so all of a sudden, Paul's got them on common ground with submit to one another. Yeah, hey, buddy, we're buddy, we're buddy. And hey, submit, wives submit. Yeah, we get that, we get that. And all of a sudden, he says, and husbands, love your wives and minds are blown. What are you talking about, Paul? And Paul wasn't even done. Notice what Paul says next. Husbands, love your wives. What's those two words? Oh, my gosh. You know why that was a big deal? Because all those guys know how this story ends. Because at this point, Jesus has died and resurrected. At this point, when Jesus says, I want you to love one another just as I have loved you, they know now that Jesus suffered and went to the cross. And so all of a sudden, light bulbs are going off on every man's head. Well, time out. You want me to love my wife how? You want me to take this person that's been my property up to this point and now to put her needs before my needs and to give my life for her? Crazy talk. Crazy talk. And it flipped the Christian world upside down. It flipped the Christian churches upside down because Paul is now saying to the men in the room, your wife is no longer property. Your wife is now your equal. And I want you to love her just as you, or just as I have loved you. And you're going to give your life for her. And the people are like, man, this isn't crazy. Now, I want to share something with you. I think it's really cool. Um, there, when, you, when you sit down and you study scripture, the nerdy term for how you interpret or study scripture is called a hermeneutic, right? Maybe you never heard that word. It's like an SAT word, right? Like hermeneutic. And hermeneutic is how you study or interpret scripture. And so imagine a hermeneutic would be like a pair of glasses that you put on that help you see the scriptures in a certain way. And there is a hermeneutic out there called the redemptive hermeneutic. The redemptive hermeneutic. And the the word redeem means to take something that's not complete or is broken and make it right, right? You're going to redeem something. And when you read the scriptures, you can see a, a redemptive hermeneutic throughout the scriptures when it comes to specifically women. You see God taking a people, a gender in the scripture, and starting from the Old Testament all the way up here to Ephesians 5.22, and he begins to raise their equality, Right? Because, I mean, remember the story with Adam, Abraham comes in to, uh, the, to the king with his wife, and he's so afraid that he's going to get killed that he tells everybody that, he, she's her, that she's his sister? Like, women, what would you do if you, if you went to a family reunion or somewhere, and your husband's like, listen, 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 we're in Arkansas, you're my sister. <laughs> right? I don't know. You'd lose your head. You'd lose your head, right? But all through Scripture, I'm from Arkansas, I can say that. All, all through Scripture, you see throughout the Bible this redemptive hermeneutic where God is redeeming women. From property to equality in the scriptures. It's really fun to study the scriptures that way. Now look at this next part here. God keeps redeeming, using Paul to redeem women. Ephesians 5.28, look what he says. Husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now we read this, guys, and we're like, man, this is not a big deal. Like, I love my wife. Yeah, I know. I know. These guys didn't. And it totally flipped the church upside down when it comes to marriage and relationships. Uh, Andy Stanley is a teaching pastor that I love to listen to and follow. And he's actually the one who crafted this Happy Couple series. And I wanted to give you a quote that, he, that I read of his that he says about this very thing. Andy says this, I know this is naive to think, and I, but I think that every woman should be a Jesus follower for no other reason than this. 
Jesus argued for your value. He argued for your worth. He argued for your dignity before it was a category for anybody else in the world. This is pretty cool. Because now there's kind of like movements and hashtags, right, for, for people to rally around. But think about it. Greek, Roman, and Jewish culture, women were property, and you have, the, for the first time, a person with influence, a person with stature, a person with leadership who can change the direction of the movement. And he stands up and he says, listen, wives are going to be equal to their husbands. And husbands, I want you to love your wives, not as your property, but just as you love yourself. I'm bringing women up here. Can I tell you two, two quick Stories on how, or I'm going to tell you one, one. It's my favorite, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and, and, and not even b- because of this message today. But the first person, in all the gospel accounts, the first person to see Jesus alive was a woman. Now, that's a big deal. Matt, why is that a big deal? Well, some of you are skeptics in the room. Some of you are skeptics that the resurrection actually happened. Some of you really don't believe that Jesus was dead and then Jesus was alive. Some of you are even skeptics of the whole foundation of the Christian faith. But here's the deal. In first century world, um, a woman had no voice. I'm not talking about she couldn't talk. A woman's voice was worthless. And so if a woman would have seen a crime, an eyewitness to a crime, and if she could have even gotten into the courtroom, if she could have even done that, her testimony would have been void. It would have been worthless. It would have been nothing. So you could have said as a female, hey, I saw John do this, and then he did this, and they wouldn't, you have no voice. And so if you are a skeptic, think about this. If you're in first century, and you're going to make up a story about a dead Jesus who resurrects from the grave, why in the world would you write that story and automatically, from the very beginning, discredit it for everybody else who's going to read it? Because every reader in the day of Jesus would have said, that's crazy. That woman, that woman has no, unless it's true. And of all of the people that Jesus could have planned out to, speak, to see him first, to hear about it first, he selects a woman because it's true. And he continues to redeem by inserting a female right into the gospel narrative that I died, I resurrected, and she saw me first and went and told the guys. Did you know the early church was full of females? They flocked to Jesus. Why? Because he gave them a voice. He gave them a place not as property. Now, so think about this. Jesus did all this before it was a category to do so. He did all of this when it wasn't cool. And so everyone else around him culturally, all the Romans that were around and the Greeks and the Jewish people, they see these Christians all of a sudden loving their woman, loving their wife, just as they love themselves. And people are going, what are you guys doing? This is weird. This is not right. And the words roll in their brain that says, and they will know you by your Love. What sets us apart today, church, Christian men and women who are in relationship together, is that we must love one another just as Jesus loved you. If you love one another like your friends love one another, you're missing it, and your life is not a testimony to them. But when we have this equal submission, because it's not Jesus saying, hey, women are better than men. He, never, he doesn't do that. He says, we're on the same field, and I want equal submission. Let's look at another scripture here. Uh, uh, Ephesians uh, 5.33. You must also love uh, his own wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Jesus is saying, I want this from now on to be an equal uh, submission competition where you're both racing to the back of the line. In the world around you, when your friends see how you two people as Christ followers love one another and how you do marriage, they will ask you, what is up with you? And why do you do that? And how did he say that? And why did you say that? And well, Because I love her and I love him just as Jesus has loved me. She 
goes first. He goes first. If you think that's miserable, I would just say start practicing it, okay? I want to give you some homework. Yay! Last week, I asked you to identify what was in your box, right? Okay? Now, this week, here is the homework. I'm going to start with number two and three. I'm going to come back to number one. Number two, the homework is this. I want you to ask your spouse, ask your person you're in a relationship with, what's in their box. Now, men, when you ask your wives, they might fall over dead. They might faint out of surprise. Or, if you've been married for a while, she may hit you and go, you don't know by now? Bam, bam, right? I don't know, right? Those two things could happen. I don't know, right? But I want you to have the conversation. Now, ladies, when you ask your man, be prepared for him to say, nothing. (laughs) And we're not trying to be evasive. We're just being honest. We don't know, right? But that's why last week I asked you to identify what your hopes, dreams, and desires were. Now, however it goes, once you've, homework number three, once you've asked, stop talking and listen. Here's the deal. Don't tell me what my hopes, dreams, and desires are. Don't tell me I'm wrong or I'm right. These are the things that have shaped me as a person that I've developed. They may be junk. I don't know. But if you start attacking this, guess what happens? My gloves go up. Well, you know what? Your hopes, dreams, and desires are stupid too. Right? And so once you ask, just listen. Just listen, right? And then let the eyes collide and say, you know what? I'm going to love you going forward just as Jesus loved me, and I'm going to do my best to make sure that your hopes, dreams, and desires come true, even if you don't for me. Because happy couples know that you owe me nothing and I owe you everything. Man, isn't that fun? Here's homework number one. I want to give you one minute. One minute. I'm going to set a timer. Actually, stand if you'll set a timer. I don't have my phone on me. Please. What is one way you, could, you can submit to your partner this week? Just one way. If you're like, well, I'm not dating. Think of an employee. Think of a friend. What is one way that you can love that person just as? Now, if you are married, you are dating, I want you to think about them. Don't leapfrog them and talk about somebody else. Okay? I know how that works, right? I want to give you one minute. I want you to think of one thing that you can do this week that will show that you love your partner just as Jesus has loved you. Let's take that time. Now, if you've already got it, I want you to take the remainder of that time, and I want you to pray for your partner. If you're sitting beside them, grab their hand, pray for them by name. I'm creating an awkward space for you. Matt said I had to, so do it. Jesus, would you allow us to have such love in our homes that the world would have no excuse but to take notice because our love is radical and our love is submissive and our love's not demanding and it's not about winning. It's about putting our love in front of our own interest. Jesus, thank you that you have loved us. 
Thank you that you loved me first and you loved us first. And that while we were lost and while we were broken and while we were out doing silly things, you still said to me and you said to so many of us in the room, follow me. And we got to say yes back. All church family, if you're here this morning and you haven't said yes to Jesus, here is invitation. Will you follow me? Will you follow me? And we'll change the world together. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.